Welcome to the Recruiting Technology Podcast, where practitioners and veterans in the space bring you news and opinion to cover the ever-changing landscape of HR technology. Hi, this is Andrew Godomsky, and that is... Jason Roberts. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to Recruiting.Technology, the show of shows on all things late and great in recruitment technology, analytics, and more. Go for it. Yeah. So, so I think today what we are going to talk about is, is going to be pretty cool. I think today we're going to talk a little bit about data privacy and in, in the wake of, in the wake of Mark Zuckerberg and what's been going on with Facebook. What do you think? Yes. Yeah. So Cambridge Analytica and, uh, and their CEO, uh, I, I've got to say, have you watched the video of the Cambridge Analytica CEO? Have you seen? No, this I, no, I have. I've not. Uh, wait, wait, this oh, last week. Mean, last week's. Yes. Were yeah, you like splitting bullets? No, no, no. This is the one like the the undercover expose video. Oh no, no, where, that one. Oh, it was. It's so great. So basically, um, somebody has a hidden camera on him, and uh, and he's talking about all the crazy political stuff that he that he can pull off with the data that he has. And he's like, yeah, you know. Um, that that uh, that dirty Hillary or whatever the thing was that term that was us that wasn't Trump we came up with that we we knew it would test really well and crooked we I believe it was crooked crooked yeah crooked Hillary we knew that would go crooked Hillary that was us and uh, and it was and they said oh Trump the, the thing that was terrible about it was um, <laughs> the worst thing you can do to Trump is take away credit. And so they're not going to get any support from the White House now because he wanted credit for Crooked Hillary. You That's know, right. Yeah, right. So they took away that credit from the guy. Um, but yeah, so Crooked Hillary was was their idea, they say. Um, and uh, are, are you caught up on sort of how all this came about and, and the story behind that whole thing? Yeah. All right. So let me recap what I know. Correct me if, if I'm wrong on some of it. Uh, so what happens is, there's a uh, uh, there's a group that uh, actually three years ago did one of these quizzes or surveys that you do on Facebook. Like, and I see people do these all the time. I'm not; they're not my thing. I, I'm not sh- sure I care which of the seven dwarfs I am. Um, but uh, but people will complete these quizzes, and when you do, you give oftentimes you give access to your Facebook to the the people that you did the quiz with, and at the time. Uh, because of the Facebook privacy rules, if someone gave you permission to, for their information, um, oftentimes you would get access to information about all of their friends too. Right, right. So they had many millions of of uh, sets of data from individual Facebook users, all based on you know about three hundred thousand people completing this uh, this online quiz. Right. So uh, they used this data to mine it. Uh, to to help political candidates in the end, and uh, the big hubbub, the furor, is that uh, people are upset about the way their data is being used. And specifically, I, I think if it were if their data was used to save puppies, it would have been okay. But their right. data was used to elect Trump. I was and, yeah, I I was, was I was very vocal about this the other day. There's a thread going out there. Some of our friends are on it, and. Uh, and I finally said, look, I think what we're upset about is, yeah, the data was misused, but it was how it was misused. That was yeah. the first thing. The second thing is that 
there's a trust that was then broken by the users with Facebook, right? right? Is that people have an emotional tie to not just, I think what we defined here is that people have an emotional tie, not just to social media, but they have an emotional tie to the data that goes along social media. What I yeah. said, how I felt, what, you know, and so, so I think what, what's happened is people aren't just upset that their name or their friends were, were, were violated. It was that their emotions were analyzed. Their yeah. political views were analyzed and segmented. And that clearly is what happened. Right. Yeah. And I'm kind of lining this out saying, there's no way this was by accident. No one would set these algorithms by accident. You're going to do this very deliberately. And you know, then you're going to do targeted, structured, fake news feeds. And I think that how calculating it was, was really what people were upset about. Maybe they're not voicing it that way, but it is a, it's a tremendous data privacy thing because it now says, I'm upset that you took my data, but now I'm even upset what you did with it. Yeah, but this is not something that's new for, for marketing businesses, right? So um, the Nielsen's, for example, why do you think ads get, get on specific shows? It's because they know the age demographic. They know the leanings of the people who typically watch that show. Totally. They know things about that group that, uh, that will, will be swayed. And those ads, those ads aren't made by themselves. Somebody made that ad because they said, all right, I'm targeting this persona and that persona is going to be swayed by seeing happy puppies running in the field. So we're going to create an ad that has happy puppies running in the field with our product saying, oh, well, you should, you should feed your dog this really great dog food because it makes happy puppies that run in the field. Right. And that's, they know that. Um, and that it, it's built that way. So I find this all silly frankly, uh, the data privacy piece in Facebook. If you thought your, your information was private in Facebook, I've got a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. It's excellent. It's been there for a little while. (laughs) 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 Only one previous owner. It's excellent. You should know it's, it's, it's not a, you know, it's not a free service, right? So I keep telling everybody, it's, it's not a free service. They're you're paying one way or the other. And in this way you're paying with data they're reselling your data. They're leveraging the data. But it does kind of, you know, but, but, but so how does this link up with recruitment technology, right? I, I find it interesting that this happens almost literally two months to the day before GDPR hits. Yeah. Right? And oh, gosh. I hope we don't have GDPR in the U.S. That would be terrible. Well, and that's and, and you know, isn't that interesting that, that we've got a couple of politicians here in the United States that were suggesting the same as early as, you know, at the, at the beginning of last year. But they're starting to talk more about that and, and say, you know, what is going on with this data? How do we protect Americans? How do we protect how, how do other countries protect themselves and their citizens? And, and I think that this this I don't think will be the thing that turns it on. But I think it, this is a big enough one that it will create conversation that could advance ideas or could prohibit people from making certain decisions. So my experience so far is that data privacy legislation is written by the greatest imbeciles on the planet. Um, so 
You cannot have a brain cell and write legislation about data based in ones and zeros that says you can't, you have to store the data in a specific place and it cannot leave this place. It's like water. It's like water that, that you cannot control the flow of in right. some ways. And we all sort of sign up to, to do this and we do everything we can, but we all know that there's some limitations to that, to that capability to keep the data within a specific spot. Well, and, and, you know, it's like people have asked me, what's the shortcut to GDPR? And I'll say it here, and I've said it on record a couple places. I'm like, kill your CRM. Yeah. And, and then they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, just fire your RMP, fire your CRM, purge all the data, and then go ahead and tell people on your career sites, we don't do this. You'll have to apply. Or why don't you do employee referrals and then come in through a back door, but we're not going to hunt you down. We're not going to track you. We're not going to have cookies getting permissions. If you're interested in our business, you'll let us know by applying to a job that we have open. Yeah. And I get that. Let's talk about the things that are good about data privacy, right? So GDPR regulations, I like the the uh, ability to be forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think that's a legitimate thing. I so I think anything in the uh, the the rights of the user piece. I think those rights and having systems that inform the user when they move from one uh, from one site to another that's that's valuable. All of those things I'm I'm all for. Sort of a bill of rights for users, right? Um, it's the limitation of, of mobility of data and requiring data to be stored in one location versus another. That's when it becomes problematic. And, uh, and I think they may do that because they don't trust the other uh, locations. They don't trust uh, Asian companies. They don't trust American companies, um, apparently for good reason on the American companies. <laughs> but, yeah, maybe. Uh, um, I, I do find it funny that, that it, uh, is, is Cambridge Analytica a UK firm? I think Far, well, that's sort of financials. I don't, I'm, I'm under the impression, yeah. So I find it funny that, that an EU firm is the one that was at ultimately uh, uh, the perpetrators in this whole thing. Right. Um, using American data. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, EU loosely, right, because of Brexit. But um, Well, they're EU, as of right now. As of right EU, now. At the time, they were EU. And uh, who knows what's going to happen? I, I can't even... Brexit's a whole different problem. Brexit is the Trump of of the UK. Well, I I, I just I, you know I kind of look at it and I and I and I and you think about. I agree that the rights of the user should be. Hey, I went into your system. I want to get erased, right? I think that that's valuable. Um, I think that from a understanding how recruiters are researching and storing the information, not so much because we need to understand every little thing that they do, but I think if there are elements of discrimination or there are elements of, of non-compliance there, where, where you know there are plenty of recruiters or sourcers that could be up to no good and there's no way to track it, right? Yeah. I think that's the intent. The intent is... Let's remove bias. Let's have a fair process. Let's give everybody visibility. 
I just think that the realities are is that, well, that's great, but that doesn't mean take all my data, throw it into a box and then monitor the box because it's just, it's moving too fast. I think the the laws that were uh, proposed on GDPR were before cloud, you know, that's when we were talking like a cloud access was like $20,000 a terabyte. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like not even like they're giving it away now. So we, we have a mismatch on economics and access around how we store data. And then this legislation that's coming out and overall data privacy in general. So let's, let's talk about some, some technologies within recruiting that take advantage of the same sorts of things that Cambridge Analytica did. Okay. So um, there's a tool, uh, I, I don't want to front them out, but uh, there's a tool that, that we've utilized in the past that allows us to, um, to target can- candidates based on uh, cookies that, that they have on their machine. And it gathers a bunch of data about them. Originally, this was used for political campaigning, actually. Hmm. Um, but it gathers data about, about people based on using these cookies and allows us to target them at an incredibly minute level. So I can, you know, I could target uh, uh, women between 35 and 40 who make uh, greater than uh, $60,000 a year who live in the East Bay uh, who like red lipstick. <laughs> that sort of really narrowed down uh, focus. In fact, one of my favorite things to do with them is um, I'm, people are going to think I'm, that we're terrible humans now, uh, but we can actually, uh, so say I'm recruiting for a, uh, for Google and they want to hire people from Microsoft based on the IP address, based on Microsoft's IP, I can, uh, I can target every time somebody is served ads from that IP address, they get served my ads. Right. Well, and I think that, and I think that what has become is that, you know, recruiting isn't just, you know, in terms of data, it's not just, well, let's go on to LinkedIn and then hope we can call, you know, we'll find the person we want and then we're going to actually pick up a phone and call them and then see if they want it. A lot of what it is now is, is using actually consumer marketing techniques and services that are now just becoming automated. And yeah. then coming through that data. And, and that data is much wider than um, traditional recruiting data. And the more automated it is, the easier it is. The other thing that's interesting about data privacy uh, for some of these tools is we've outsourced the usage of these tools. So we don't know what everybody's doing. At, and I want to be careful about outing, right? But as, as an example... The average head of uh, talent acquisition at a Fortune 100 company cannot explain how some of the aggregators get and maintain the data that they purchase. Yeah. Well, that's – well, and I don't think that they would want to. Um, I, I've, I've met with people we, we ended up not being able to work with that um, one of the main – the main ways they got information as an aggregator was that uh, they would scrape LinkedIn, um, basically doing site searches, but they had a way around everything because they would change servers every day. Right. right? So they had some like Eastern European company that was 
scraping data and switching out their servers. Why do I have a feeling I know exactly who you're talking about? But <laughs> the, the thing that was crazy about it to me was um, I, had, I had this picture in my head of this sort of covert action where there's this hacker group like closing down their laptops and running off to the next building down the road to do this thing. But, well, uh, and, but that's I, a thing. And, I guess, and I guess what it kind of comes to, and I've been telling people as you're signing these, these deals where you're outsourcing these services, you have to look at the indemnity clauses and say, what is this? What are these organizations absorbing for risk for you versus not? And in many cases, what they're saying is, well, we have a tool, but if you use our tool and if something happens, you're indemnifying it because all we're doing is giving you access. We're not telling you, we're not taking a responsibility for what's inside the tool or how it got there, right? Yeah. And that's where you have to be cautious because there's a lot of startups out there and there's a lot of fly-by-night organizations that just don't have the infrastructure, nor have they, have they built the infrastructure that you can clearly say those guys are, are, are taking care of business. And Facebook is a great example, right? Yeah. Huge organization, lack of infrastructure, lack of monitoring, and this is what happens. That, that's exactly right. So I, I think that uh, I think the Facebook guys are going to be struggling for a bit with this whole thing. I think for us, it's, it's interesting. We, we're obviously paying a lot of attention to, to data privacy in my world today. Uh, GDPR is, is uh, the, the most dangerous four-letter word we have at the moment in our space. So uh, we, uh, we're spending a ton of time. In fact, last week, uh, I, we flew in some experts to talk with our analytics team um, about GDPR specifically and, and making sure that we were ready and, and prepared and, and all of those things. So I think that's, that's there. I pray to God we don't have that in the, in the U.S., though I think the, uh, the user's bill of rights should exist. Um, the sort of uh, the, the things that we just talked about uh, and the, the, the ability to be forgotten, the ability to, to know when you're moving from one site to another. I agree. Uh, knowing how your data is going to be used, permission to, to reach out to you for various purposes. All of those things I think are, are legitimate and fair. Um, what I worry about is uh, location limitations on data storage and data transfer. I think that's, that's going to be a problem for us. In, in that vein, in that, in that light of, of data privacy and where's your data and who's getting it, um, I have, uh, you and I have been doing some work um, that are, that's unusual and so we want to talk a little bit about that. But I thought uh, I have a little story about one of the CRMs that I was looking at, actually a couple of them. And I think maybe people don't understand that this is standard technology now on how, how your data can move. So I'm looking at – so right now I'm, I'm, I'm monitoring – I'm uh, managing a large recruitment marketing platform uh, purchase uh, for a client. And uh, very unusual use case, large, 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 huge, big. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll process millions of, of, of applicants through this program. And um, so we're, I'm really getting into where does the data move and how does it move? And what was interesting is how the recruitment marketing platforms are having direct integrations with things like Monster, Career Builder, Hiring Solve, and so on, such that if somebody new pops in to monster, right? Your, your recruitment marketing platform can automate, you know, they say, these are the things I'm looking for. 
Yeah. Something new goes to monster, but the integration is with monster. And so that person's automatically added to your recruitment marketing platform, right? Yep. So, so the recruitment marketing platform is constantly scraping these aggregators for the people that you want. And then it's automatically putting them into your campaigns. Now, I don't think that people get, people kind of get, well, I have these aggregators, I'm tagging the aggregators and I get it, but I guarantee you the candidates don't understand that. Well, I think they get that they're putting their job out so they can get into the hand, their resume out so they can get into the hands of people who have jobs, right? Right. That's, that's <laughs> but, the reason. Like if you post a resume on Monster, the whole, your whole purpose for doing that is so that other people will see it so that you can get a new job. Yeah, that might be that that may be the case, but 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 realize that the that the the systems can can store that information as long as they want and they can also hit you up as long as you want. So, just because I was looking for a job uh today doesn't mean I'm looking for a job 6 months from now, right? And so, so it's, here's right. this, this is a question for you. Is it better for uh, for us to reach out to a person and uh, and cultivate that relationship over a period of time with emails they may not want to get, or to spy on them, watch their social media behavior, and know when they're interested in changing a job, changing jobs? Which is the worst thing the the uh, the big brother yeah. spying on them or the uh, the reaching out and and sending them junk mail? Well, I mean, I guess I guess what I would say is it's provided that I had feedback that they were, that they were marking me as junk and not opening my stuff, I would say number one, right? Okay. So if, if I can passively understand, but I can passively understand that they're not interested because they're reacting to messages that I give, but it's not me calling them on the phone. It's just like, I sent them a few things. They haven't opened them. They're not showing interest or they're, 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 they're they're, they're, I've been moved into junk. Okay, that actually tells me intent. That tells me motivation. I find that to be at least some sort of two-way communication with the candidate. If I was to do like the, you know, the, the Jobberate or uh, uh, Darren's business, um, Haiku kind of stuff, and I'm just passively looking and I'm spying on people regularly looking for patterns of behavior – I guess, but all these all these guys are doing it, like uh, Intello, right. to some to some extent. That's that's part of their pitch now. That hey, we're we're watching these people to see what they do. Yeah, but but the thing is, is I, I look at that, and every time I have, I, I get a bunch of recruiters in the room, and they ask me this question. I say, can't you guys just figure out when the de- when the fiscal year pick when the fiscal year ends and when the person's anniversary is? Because even Intello will tell you that they're more likely to leave based on those anniversaries than anything else. Oh, so you look at the work. That's a good idea. Look at the work. Come on, man. I told you that like five years ago. I'm I'm not sure. Here's, here's what I think they really do though. I, I I don't think it's that simple. Um, You and I know the reason we have algorithms. Like I, I could tell you when a job, I can guess when a job is going to be super hard to fill and when it's going to miss its target time to fill. I can guess that myself. But I know that based on, you know, two or three variables. 
the machines, they're looking at 30 or 40 variables and giving various weights to them so that they have far more accurate predictions. Um, that's where I think these guys come in. If they have, if they have accurate predictions, we should use that. We should make, make, uh, make use of, of all the work that they've done and pay them for it. Yeah, I mean, where I'm not seeing it right now is where they're right, right? So we're still early enough. So when I have one of these tools present to me, here are all the algorithms that we use, and here were our predictions about who was going to leave and who was going to move and when they were going to move and all that stuff. And then they say, here's that two-year prediction, and here's our confidence level, and then here's how we did, right? And, and none of it has to, and by the way, they remove things like bonus payout timing and anniversary dates of joining and, and promotion. If they start removing that stuff and it's wildly within, like, like way outside standard deviation, awesome. So far, I haven't seen much. I, I see plenty that works, but I, but I kind of look at it and say, is that juice worth the squeeze when I could just tell my sourcers, hey, guys, IBM's fiscal years, you know, that hospital group is on a mid-year fiscal. Go get the accountants out of them. They're cheaper yeah. for us, number one, right? right? They're cheaper for us right now, and they're probably looking. Don't try to get out of our competitor. We've got to pay a mid-year sign-on bonus. Well, and you know, you can also look at when – when someone loses a big customer, right? A, a very right. public customer loss and uh, know that nobody's getting paid bonuses that year and uh, go after that. Go after well, right. That and, you know, you know um, Alan Furrer, right? He does, uh, he has like the layoff. It's like layoff announcements on Facebook. Yep. Right. Same thing. It's like people are like, well, maybe they're not laying off. I'm like, well, if they're making layoffs, I bet you they're holding on to bonuses. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that is, that's absolutely true. So you go and, and you mind the good can good people. Uh, right. that being laid off. I, so, so long-winded answer to your question. I think it's better to get some sort of direct indicator against your brand than it is to say, well, that person's looking to leave. Now, I'll admit, the people that you're tracking who have shown interest in your brand and you're then getting signals that they might be looking to leave, okay. I can see where you combine those things and say, in our talent pipeline, I'm not convinced we need them, by the way, but in the pipeline of people that we're looking, here are are like the people who follow us on three social media things. They've been to two of our events, and now I got a signal that that person may want to leave, and it has nothing to do with the fact that their bonus is coming, is, is, is just been paid. Okay, in that particular set of circumstances yes hey um where are you going to be where where can people see uh see us uh in the next little bit where are you going to be hmm i'm kind of off the road a little bit right now i'm not going to ere in april um oh the greenhouse is having like a an atap open house thing uh in new york in april uh i might pop in on that i want to say it's like april 2nd very nice all right perfect um you can find me at ere i'll be there uh doing probably one of the most fun sessions i've i've ever uh, been a part of it's called a bull session so uh it's me uh 
there's uh, several other guys coming out, several other people. I think there's there are women doing this too. I have five minutes to make my case for a topic, and uh, at the end of the my five minutes, the audience gets to decide if I was full of bull or not. Oh. So uh, that's that's how that works. Uh, my topic is. Uh, Machines can provide a better candidate experience than humans can alone. That is, uh, okay. That's my topic. Yeah, so, you, yeah, you had, you, yeah. I'm convinced. You're right. We suck yeah, at candidate yeah. experience as humans alone. So yeah, we're we're terrible at that. So uh, I think machines might be part of the answer. So that, that'll be my topic. We'll see what happens there. Uh, and you can also see me in Budapest in uh, in June. I'll be at SourceCon in Budapest, and uh, I'll have the crystal ball going. Uh, my topic there is TA 2020, what's right around the corner for talent acquisition. Yeah, I got one more. Uh, I won't be there because I'll be studying. But um, if you're not going to uh, you know, ERE and SourceCon, e- the Employment Branding Strategies Conference, which is eBrandCon, is, is happening. And if you go, you get to be part of my talent congress where you get data analytics. So do that. That's in San Diego. So we got all kinds of places you can go see people with analytics coming up. Um, that one's in, that's the second week in May in San Diego. It's awful weather there that time of year. Perfect. <laughs> San Diego is always the same weather, isn't it? You're right. It's, it's always, always the same weather. weather. Yeah. All right. All right. So we're going to sign off. I'm Andrew Godomsky. That is Jason Roberts. And this is recruiting.technology. Thanks everybody. Bye.